Look, uh, there must be some mistake. I can get you more credits. I can bring you in warm. Or I can bring you in cold. Oh, shit! That was a clip from the very first episode of the new Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian. It happened. It's here. The Mandalorian is here. And I can't tell you how excited I am. The One of the main reasons why I do this show is because I've always wanted to have a show to talk about Star Wars on. But what show is that? Oh, hey! Welcome to issue 53 of 3BZ Presents Popcast, a.k.a. the TomCast Popcast. I am your host. My name is Tom, and this is our very special episode dedicated to the first episode of The Mandalorian. I don't know if I'll say it that way the entire time we do this, this series, but right now I like saying The Mandalorian. It's a lot of fun. So the first episode, it's here. Disney Plus is here. Despite all the uh, glitchiness of the first day launch uh, on November 12th, I don't know if you were having the same problems I was having first thing in the morning um, on November 12th, but yeah, it was a bit glitchy. But it did not take long for them to uh, at least get us to the point where we could access the content, despite the fact that we couldn't really navigate the menus too easily at the time. But, hey, first thing in the morning, I'm, I was watching The Mandalorian, and I ended up being pretty damn happy about it. So let's get into this episode, and listen, I think we should say right off the bat, um, actually, before we get into the episode, there's a couple things we should probably talk about. Um, you know, I'm going to get probably about as nerdy as I can possibly get with this, with with our, our covering of the Mandalorian series for the, for the podcast, because, um, you know, it's been mentioned before that I, I am a Star Wars fan, um, my fandom for Star Wars runs deep, real deep, and I am one of those guys. I, I read the books, I read the all the comics, everything like that. I know the continuity, I know the history of the mythology, I know the stuff they don't talk about in the films, and um, I don't share that in public very often because it doesn't it it does not allow me to make friends very often because uh, they know that I'm just just the uber dork, and that's okay. So I, I keep it I keep it to myself and I save it for you guys. So when it comes to this podcast, it just bubbles out of my mouth so much. I'm I'm like frothing. I can't wait to talk about this stuff with you guys today. It's gonna be so much fun. But we should talk a little bit about the Mandalorian. Uh some of the some of the a little bit of the history of the Mandalorians as far as um what's kind of come before as far as the Star Wars continuity. Now some of you may know, um, you know, for a long time, there wasn't Star Wars going on. And all we had were the comic books and the novels to, to kind of keep us going, give us our Star Wars fix. And um, it took a little while, but eventually they got around to bringing, bringing back Boba Fett and, and kind of showing more of, of his people and what they're all about. Uh, one, of the, one of the most important uh, writers for this was, uh, in fact, an author named uh, Karen Travis, who wrote the novelization uh, based on the video game for Republic Commando. I don't know if you guys remember that, that PlayStation game, Republic Commando. It was set during the Clone Wars, and you were part of 
an advanced recon team of clones, and you're out doing good, good, doing good deeds for the Republic against the Separatists. Uh, she wrote a novelization of the game. It actually kind of takes place after the events of the game. No, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm drawing a, it's it's kind of concurrent to the events of the of the game because the game and okay, I don't want to spoil it in case anyone wants to go back and play it or read the books. But the the two things sync up with each other by the end and it's pretty great the way that all works out. What got even better though is uh the due to the 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 good response that the novel got, uh Karen Travis continued to write books about about the clone troopers and uh she did some really remarkable stuff as far as um just kind of detailing more of the clones' personalities and, and how, you know, yeah, they're, they're clones of Jango Fett, but they're each their own person. They each have their own identities. And part of that identity that was forged with them was, was from a, a Mandalorian who helped train them and instill in them the virtues of the Mandalore. And it's one of those things that just, they don't get into it in the films at all. There, I guess there's just not that you know there's not the no, enough time to follow a clone character around, but because of his of these clones' connections to Jango Fett, this just this trainer of theirs, another another Mandalorian, you know, instills Mandalorian virtues and and, and Mandalorian beliefs and codes into them. Uh, it's 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 fascinating series of books, and then uh, uh, Karen Travis was then allowed to jump into the main timeline and, and can kind of continue. The, the, the saga of the clones and this time she was able to incorporate Boba Fett into the mix and uh, they were fascinating novels they were really really complex and, and just showed how got you know just the, the wrongness of, of the Republic using a, an essentially a slave army to fight a war for them uh, just really really complex stuff really really good I recommend the novels highly 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 and there's some really cool badass stuff in there some amazing kick-ass Star Wars kind of stuff um the, the series never really got to finish, though, because what happened was uh, Disney. Disney bought Lucasfilm, and when that happened, uh, the old continuity was going to go away. The, Disney wanted to wipe the slate clean. They were using the Clone Wars animated series uh, as kind of the, the first of their new you know, mythology uh, for the Disney-owned Star Wars. So they were clearing the decks, but the cartoon was counting towards the new canon. So all, all this stuff kind of got pushed off to the side, which, uh, which was unfortunate. There was a lot of great stories, not just Karen Travis's stories, but a lot of great stories from Star Wars, uh, uh, history from the novels and from comics, you know, just kind of got brushed away. They're now referred to as uh, the Star Wars Legends series. You may see them at the bookstores, and they have like that gold banner that says Legends on them. And that's kind of like the non-canon stuff nowadays. Uh, but there's some good stuff in there still. So when, when Disney launched this new canon, they completely changed around uh, a lot of the, the history that, that Karen Travis and others before her, uh, particularly the guys associated with, with writing the role-playing game back in the 80s, and, and then some of the Marvel comics and, D- and Dark Horse comics that came out prior to, to these Republic Commando novels, had, had used to kind of give us an idea of, of the Mandalore and what the Mandalorians were all about. And... Um, it was very, very different. Like, like I said, one of the things that I instantly gravitated towards with, with the Karen Travis version of, of The Mandalorians was that it, Mandalorians are not so much a people as they are a, a, a culture, as they are a society. It's not 
one species dominant. Like anyone could be a Mandalorian if you live by the code, if you live by their their rule, by their way of life. Um, they they uh, they they Mandalorian warriors adopt orphan children and bring them into the tribe and make them Mandalorians. It's it's really uh, fascinating, interesting stuff, and uh, I I loved it because it was so different. It was so radical from some of the other Star Wars uh, species that we had seen before. You know, this kind of a nomadic tribe of, of warriors with, with, you know, with, with, with a strong code. Yeah, they've been on the wrong side of, of history before. They've, they've fought losing battles. They've, they've allied themselves with the bad guys, but they've also allied themselves with good guys at the same time. It just kind of depends on who's in charge of the clans at the time. The quote, and the, by the way, the, the leader, of the, the, the name of the clan leader is the Mandalore. There's a big comma in there somewhere, right? I think after the D, the, before the L, Mandalore. Um... So it, it's it's fascinating stuff, and and all this kind of stuff, like I said, got pushed aside for the new continuity. Now, if you started, if you if you're a fan of, fan of the Clone Wars and you didn't know any of the stuff from the novels, you have a very different version of of what Mandalorian history is. You know, you uh you your first exposure to Mandalore via the the Clone Wars series is a a little three episode arc in the middle of season two that shows Obi Wan Kenobi going to going to Mandalore. And uh, connecting with their their leader, uh, Duchess Satine, who is uh, she herself is a pacifist, but the Mandalorians themselves are pacifists. They've kind of put their um, warrior like ways behind them, and they're trying to live life more peacefully. As like I said, as pacifists, and you know, a generation ago they had banished their warriors to the moon Concordia above the planet, and they they believe they had died off. They hadn't. There, there's a whole Death Watch thing in the in the Mandalorian armor that we're familiar with from Jango and Boba Fett is is makes a comeback, and it, it it's a very different trajectory than what was in the, in the previous uh, novels. You know, in the, in the old canon, the 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 Legends canon, as it was being called. Um, that that new star that new Mandalorian canon progressed throughout the run of Star Wars: The Clone Wars. It goes all the way up to the very very end where Mandalore plays a big part. The planet Mandalore and its people play a big part in the conclusion of that series. And it also plays a big part in the sequel series, Star Wars Rebels, which takes place during the time of the Empire, but prior to the events of A New Hope. So Mandalore plays a big part in that. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about on the show, because it comes up, uh, a, a couple things pop up in this first episode of The Mandalorian that would seem to hint that they are bringing elements from that Karen Travis run, from you know, the, the previous canon into current continuity. And this is something that, that Star Wars has been uh, slowly but cautiously doing, bringing, bringing certain elements from those, those Star Wars legends books and novels and comics and, 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 and incorporating them in maybe a slightly altered way just to kind of tweak it so that it fits the canon continuity that we're also to be taking as the one true continuity. Is that nerdy enough for you guys? I told you it's gonna get real. I got a flow chart over here. You guys, I'll take a picture of it for you. There's, there's charts and string, and it's, it's just all over the wall. My wife is so pissed. She hates it in here right now. It's disgusting with Mandalorian love everywhere. Um, so that's kind of where we're going. And now I'm gonna try and, and weave in some of those elements. Like I'm gonna point out some of the things on the episode where it's like that's old continuity that they're they're bringing back in. And I'm gonna try and give a little bit of, of, of an explanation of, of you know some more details that hopefully will make sense and, and kind of help you guys uh if you don't already know it, uh, have a more uh, enriched viewing experience watching 
The Mandalorian as uh, as we as we plow through these eight episodes are going to come fast and furious. Episode two uh, is going to be out on Friday morning, so get ready for that. And then, boo, baby! It, I mean, they're going to have this thing wrapped up before Christmas, and I'm going to be smiling until New Year's. I just I can't wait. If if the first episode is any indication of things, uh, we can, we're going to have a fun fun eight episodes with this show, which is I think all the fans really want. I mean. You know, Boba Fett obviously infinitely popular. His his aura, his mystique, I think that's going to bring people who are just even casual fans of Star Wars into this. They're like, "Hey, who's that cool guy with the masked helmet on? He's pretty badass looking." So that's kind of the the little bit of a history thing I, I want to get into. Um, I'm currently working on something uh, very special for for our uh, uh, tier one Patreons. I'm going to be uh, writing a love letter to the Mandalorians. And uh, I'm going to get into some really nerdy shit. I can't wait for that one. Uh, so if you are interested in our Patreon, you should uh, head over there and check that out. It's www.patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. And while I'm at it, I should share the rest of our social media. You can follow along on Twitter at TomCast underscore PopCast. And at Instagram, I'm sorry, on Instagram at the TomCast underscore PopCast. And while you're at it, we also have email. Can you believe it? Just TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. Hit me up on the emails. Um, I'd love to read your emails on the show, so uh, let me know if I can do that or if you'd rather just, you know, if you're just going to chastise me, I, I, I may not read that one on the show. <laughs> and this also, also, if you're interested, you know, you're on the Apple iTunes, you know, five-star reviews go a long way helping us out, so think about that. All right, folks. Let's do it. Let's get into The Mandalore. But here, let's just do one more clip from the episode to officially kick things off. Please lower your blaster. Have them lower theirs first. We have you four to one. I like those odds. <laughs> there it is. Good stuff from our, our main Mandalorian. Is that an insult to Boba Fett? I didn't mean to insult Boba Fett. Please don't, please don't come and kill me, Boba Fett. All right. The Mandalorian Chapter 1 is directed by Dave Fiolini, who uh, is kind of the man responsible for, for ushering in the new continuity that was on Star Wars The Clone Wars. He was the executive producer, he wrote a lot of the episodes, directed a lot of the episodes for Star Wars The Clone Wars, and he did the same job for uh, Star Wars Rebels, which, again, one of my favorite shows. These are, are fantastic Star Wars shows. While I was bummed to see the continuity get wiped away, I love these shows. Don't get, me, don't get it twisted. Uh, the episode that we watched was written by John Favreau, who is also the executive producer of the Mandalorian. And again, these are, uh, these are good people to have on your TV show. There's no doubt about that. All right. So let's set the stage for this new world that we're, that we're watching here. Um, the, the Mandalorian is set in a post return of the Jedi universe galaxy, sorry, in the post return of the Jedi galaxy. And the show's very much like a Western. Uh, it has a very much a Western feel to it. Uh, the Empire's overthrown, but remnants remain, as we start to see, and I think they're going to play a much bigger part as, as uh, the series progresses. Um, but it's, it's, it's good to note these things, okay, in case you're not paying super close attention. But I think all of us are paying super close attention to this, pr- this pr- program here. So I should mention that you know, we're about to dive into the, the story here. So uh, I think it's fair to say that the, the spoiler alerts are, are, are in play. If you have not watched the show yet, uh, you may want to may come back later and listen to it after you've had a chance to watch it. You know, get that Disney Plus subscription. What are you waiting for? It's, it's totally awesome, and it's super worth it. All right, so let's see. 
All right. I mean, the show opens the Mandalorian on on a on a, on some planks between uh, iced over lakes, um, and he's tracking his prey, tracking his bounty. He arrives at a small cantina on an ice world. We're not given the names of the planets. I looked very hard on the internet for names of the planets. Uh, I think they're. I think it's intentionally vague. I think it kind of leans into that Western motif that they're kind of going for, where like the lone gunfighter, where the lone gunfighter, uh, sort of just rolls into like whatever the nearest town is and and ambles into the cantina to, you know, get into some kind of a gunfight, which is essentially how the show opens. Uh, we we see the bounty. Uh, that the Mandalorian is looking for. He's being harassed by two locals who unwisely turn their attention to the Mando as he begins, and they, and they begin to harass him. They notice he's wearing the Beskar armor. All right, Beskar is going to be a big part of the show. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Beskar later. Uh, a fight ensues, and the Mando makes quick work of the human, and then he bisects the Quarren in the iris of the closing door. Uh, the Quarren is the squid-faced uh, alien guy, just for the record. Um... And that's when he attracts his, his that's when he comes up, he approaches his prey, his bounty, puts the, puts the bounty puck on the table, which is something I don't think we've really seen before. Um, at least not referred to as a bounty puck. There was something similar in the Star Wars Bounty Hunter video game that was out on PlayStation 2 a million years ago, but was so much fun. Uh, I know Roger's been on the show, and we both have kind of gushed about how much we love that video game. And uh, you know, there, there were elements of this show that were kind of like seeing that video game brought to life, which was really, really fantastic. Um, after this, we get, you know, the line that we open the show with, you know, I can either take you in warm or I can take you in cold. And, uh, I thought that was a really strong way to open the show. You know, the Mandalorian doesn't talk much. It's typical of, you know, very reminiscent of, of Boba Fett in, in that sense, you know, uh, you know, Amando talks through action, not through words. And that's a, a awesome thing. By the way, you're gonna hear me say Mando a lot <laughs> because that is, at least in the Karen Travis world, Mando is, is a very popular abbreviation, uh, uh, Karen Travis came up with an entire language for the for the Mando, and uh, I may break into some of it every now and then uh, when I really feel like nerdy now. But I want to kind of ease you guys into the nerdiness in case you felt like I threw you into the deep end. When you know when I was kind of going into that history, it gets so much deeper. It's so much deeper the nerdery that I that I have in this brain of mine. I can't remember a lick of anything I learned at, at, at San Diego State, but I still know. Uh, a, a decent chunk of of Mando, all right? Just because, I mean, like, you know, the, I guess I run into the one guy who knows it too. We can have a conversation. It's fantastic. Um, so he's, he's our, the, our, our hero, the Mandalorian, is escorting his, his uh, bounty back to where his ship is. But like I said, we're on this strange ice world where, where it's just like lakes just iced over, iced over, iced over, and you're, you have to walk on these like narrow strips of, of planks um, to to get where you need to go. Now uh, our our hero needs to get a ride back to his ship, so he approaches he approaches uh, a, a Kubaz, who I don't know if, if it's possible there's a Kubaz cameo in in uh, Rogue One. I can't quite remember at this moment. There may have been, but a Kubaz, and for all you big nerds out there who who may remember, uh, if you remember Garindin from A New Hope, he's the the long snouted. Uh, spy for the Imperials on, on Tatooine. He rats out Obi-Wan and Luke, you know, that they're going to be at, um, at their, that they're meeting up with Han Solo at Docking Bay 94. It's crazy. So to see one of those aliens was, was pretty rad. But then also we have to see, have to see something totally new. Uh, this long-snooted alien uh, summons a speeder via a flute. It plays with its snout. So that was kind of fun. I mean, my goodness. We'd never seen anything like that before. 
Now, it, the interesting part is this, this: the first Peter that pulls up to take them across the lakes to the to the to the ship um, is piloted by a droid, and the first thing out of the Mandalorian's mouth is "No droids." So I'm I'm kind of curious, like the aversion to droids. Like, why does he not trust droids? Is there a whole thing? You know, obviously droids can be reprogrammed. So I mean, there's just kind of like a natural paranoia about having droids around. We'll get to more droids later. But it was something that I, I kind of caught my attention. I was I was very curious about that because you know a lot of times in Star Wars, it's um, I don't want to say it's kind of become a cliche, but oftentimes in Star Wars, and not just in, in the movies or, in, or the, the TV shows and the animated series or whatnot, or even the video games, uh, it's very common for the heroes to have robot sidekicks with them. So I love the fact that we kind of like dispelled that almost immediately from, from this show, that he, he has some kind of an issue with droids. All right, so we get, they, we, we get a nice little cameo from Brian Posehn as the speeder pilot who does take them. After the the the, the Kubas summons another ship, another sh- a speeder, uh, a speeder a little reminiscent to Luke's from A New Hope too, which is a nice little nod in that direction. All right, so we get to the ship. So Posein takes them to the ship. We hear about these Ravenex, like because uh, Posein's kind of scanning the ice, you know, with these with these uh, look like like kind of thermal binoculars almost, uh, trying to track these Ravenex. So he pays up, gets the heck out of there. His speeder pulls away. The bounty's watching as the speeder pulls away, and that's when a Ravenek crashes through the ice and, and destroys the speeder. And what is a Ravenek? Well, it looks like a giant, giant walrus, basically. I mean, these giant like tusks come down, and it attacks the ship. It latches onto the ship, and the Mandalorian has to go and deal with that to free the ship from the, the Ravenek. And, you know, this is when I noticed um, something, something that kind of happens quite a bit on, on, in, in Star Wars in particular, but... Uh, Lots of great sound effects from classic Star Wars movies pop up in the show, especially in these opening scenes. Uh, and it was very, very cool to hear some of these awesome scenes. So, or awesome sounds, I should say. So, if you, if you want to get a chance when you when you watch it again, because you should watch it again. I've watched it four times. What are you guys doing? Let's watch it again. Let's all get together and watch it together. Wouldn't that be fun? We'll do like a Google Hangout and watch it. I'd be down for that. So, I, again, I like that kind of stuff. That's, again, anything that kind of uh, gives a nice little nod to the original trilogy is always a nice little thing. All right, so our, our, our hero gets away with his bounty in tow, and uh, the bounty starts trying to make small talk, a little chit-chat in the, in the cockpit. The Mando's not talking. That's not what he does. So the bounty makes a, a plea. He's like, i got to go to the bathroom. And you know he's not going to go to the bathroom. But... We do get to see a toilet in the Star Wars universe. I'm pretty sure this is the first toilet we've ever seen in a Star Wars uh, depiction ever. So that's pretty cool. You get to see a space toilet, folks. Uh, you know, I mean, what, what other shows is showing you space toilets? I can't think of one. So the, 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 the bounty is down below now, and he's kind of messing around. He kind of finds the armory, and uh, he like, doesn't want anything to do with that. And then he kind of stumbles, you know, he, something catches his eye. He kind of goes towards it, and, and, and what does he find? Oh, and I should say, while he's doing while he's doing this, you know, the the, the bounty is is kind of making idle chit chat, kind of trying to let the the Mandalorian know that you know nothing suspicious is going on down here, everything's a okay down here, and we get a reference to Life Day. I mean, come on, that's deep cuts for Star Wars fans right there. If you're not familiar with Life Day, it is uh, the universally hated. I guess might be the best way to put it. Star Wars holiday special from, God, I think it was like 70, maybe 77, 78, right around that time. 
Um, you can find it on bootlegs all over the internet, but no one you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of been disavowed by by uh, by by Star Wars by Lucasfilm. Uh, they they admit this is a, a horrible a horrible idea, a horrible mistake. Uh, it's all about getting Chewbacca back for a. Uh, I guess like a Christmas-like celebration on on Kashyyyk with his Wookiee family. It's got um, oh boy, it's got some singing and B. Arthur and it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, look it up. It's Dark Days. You probably can find it on YouTube. Actually, I'll be honest with you. If you really want to go down that road, uh, so a, a, a super deep cut reference to Life Day. Shout out to that. I know I talked to Roger. Uh, Roger got a kick out of that as well. And uh, but you know what, the man know. He's not buying the idle chit-chat. So as he's making the references to Life Day, the bounty is seeing racks of people in carbonite hanging suspended in the bay of the ship. I mean, how cool is that? That's when he makes the reference to not making it home in time for Life Day. And the Mando says, I guess not. And he throws him into the portable carbonite freezing unit. And next thing you know, the bounty hanging from whatever it is he's hanging from Frozen in carbonite. Classic bounty hunter move. That's the only way to get their bounties home safe and sound without them trying to kill you on the way. You can't trust the bounty. He's not just going to give up. You don't fuck around with that. You put him in the carbonite. Safety first. Love it. All right, so then we arrive at a new planet. We don't know this planet's name. Again, it kind of keeps that motif going. All we know is like we're in the outer rim of, of, of the Star Wars galaxy. You know, we're, we're kind of in these frontier worlds. Again, playing into that Western motif. And our hero goes into another cantina to meet with his uh, a, a bounty hunter guild contact, Grief Cargo, played by the awesome Carl Weathers, which I didn't mention. Our Mandalorian friend is played by the awesome Pedro Pascal, who you may know from Game of Thrones and uh, the Kingsman, the second Kingsman movie, and a, a bunch of other work. He's, he's been an impressive actor, and the fact that he took a role where you're not really going to see his face too much is, is uh, pretty, pretty darn impressive. So, so shout out to, to Pedro for, for doing that. I, and I love seeing what he's done so far. I can't wait to see what else he does with this work. All right, so he meets up with Grief Karga. Again, played by Carl Weathers. Representative of the Bounty Hunters Guild. He's collecting his bounties. Now, as he walks into this cantina, you know, the, cam- the camera pans. And we, and we notice uh, various Trendoshans, another alien species you may recognize from, uh, from Empire Strikes Back. One of the bounty hunters on the bridge of the Star Destroyer when, when Darth Vader assembled the bounty hunters to look for Han Solo and Princess Leia. A Trendashan is the, the big reptilian-looking one. He has the toes hanging over the thing when the Admiral's like, we don't need their scum here. You know, it, awesome stuff. So a group of Trendashans seems to take note of the Mandalorian's arrival. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see that pans out later on. That's, uh, that looks like just uh, just kind of like a hint of things to come because the, the Trendashans did not look stoked to see him. All right, so the, the bounty hunters are trying to get paid, but Grief only is offering payment in Imperial credits. Another thing that I noticed here, um, the Mandalorian does not seem interested in taking Imperial credits. Now, there could be a lot of different reasons for that. Again, we're in a post-return of the Jedi world. He makes reference to the fact that the Empire's gone, but Grief says, well, they still spend. Now, it could be as simple as that, or it could have more to do with the fact that the Empire did some pretty bad things to Mandalore. But some of the worst things that happened to Mandalore at Imperial hands was back in the old canon, the old continuity from the, from the Karen Travis novels and, and that era, those Star Wars Legends books. 
So to me, that was maybe my first hint that, hey, wait, maybe we're starting to get um, a little bit of that old continuity here. Actually, the first reference to the, the, the first hint I got was the, the reference to Beskar. But we'll get in more into the Beskar in, in a little bit, I promise, I promise. So I, I was curious about that. You know, he's not taking those Imperial credits. He accepts instead uh, Calamari Flan, which is like these weird jelly-looking coins. It's very strange. But, uh, you know, those Calamari under the sea and all that. Um, he's looking for more, more bounties. Now, he seems very, very, our, our hero, the, the Mandalorian, seems very um, obsessed, driven to get as many bounties as possible. It seems like he's uh, collecting money for something. You know, he needs as much money as he can get his hands on. But the bounties aren't paying well, you know. The, 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 they, 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 there's a line, he asks Grief, how much, you know, what's the, what's the highest bounty that he has? And it's 5,000. And the Mando replies, that's not even enough for gas. Or fuel. He says fuel, you know, because he's more sophisticated than I am. So that sets the stage for, for Grief to offer the Mandalorian a once, no, I wouldn't say a once-in-a-lifetime offer, but a, a special contract off the books. It's a face-to-face -face meeting called a, they refer to it as a direct commission, which would seem to imply deep pockets. So this is kind of like a big payday. One big score for the Mandalorian here. It looks like he's looking for that sweet payday. And this client might be the guy to give it to him. So the Mandalorian goes to, he's going to go to his meeting. And we get a little bit of a trip around this, this kind of strange outpost that he's at. And uh, the first, an, another kind of nod we get, a first little uh, a glimpse of this world is we see Jawas. Jawas are here. So that's pretty crazy, right? You get to see a Jawa. Different kind of Jawa, not on Tatooine. But they're looking for junk still. Jawas aren't that different. All right, so he gets to the meeting point, And we see, we get even more references, all right? At the, at, the, at the meeting point, at the door, we see an eyeball droid, like the one from Jawa's palace, that greets him. The Mandalorian shows him the, the meeting shit. Access is granted. And then we see a, a, a gonk droid. Again, the gonk droid from... The, the from the Sandcrawler in Episode Four in the new, in A New Hope, Gonk, Gonk. You remember Gonk? Come on, don't don't make me be the dork here. You know who Gonk is too. So we see a Gonk droid, which is pretty awesome. Gonk escorts him to the end of the hallway. The door opens to the room, and we see oh, just you know, four stormtroopers casually hanging around. Now these stormtroopers are clearly remnants of a fallen empire. You know, their 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 armors is seen better days. There's no shine on them. They're pretty beaten. You see the stormtroopers with their E11 blaster rifles, and uh, yeah, you know it's Star Wars time. You know they're not monkeying around anymore. Uh, so the Mandalorian enters the room, and there's a seated at at a, at a, at a desk is uh, a, a, an Imperial who is referred to as the client. We don't know what kind of Imperial he is. Perhaps he's a moth. Perhaps he's a an Imperial, a former Imperial governor who you know, is out of power. It's clearly, it's clear that these Imperials are, are kind of hiding out. They're, they're laying low. And um, this client, this Imperial client, has a job for the Mandalorian at the behest of a, of a doctor named Dr. Pershing. Uh, except instead of offering, like, the big payday, at least in terms of credits that the Mandalorian's expecting, he's offered payment in Beskar. Now, let's talk about Beskar for a little bit. This is a good point to kind of get into, into this. Uh, Beskar is an iron ore metal that, is a, that was found only and exclusively on Mandalore. In the old continuity, in that Karen Travis Legends canon that no longer exists anymore, 
the Empire shows up on Mandalore and basically takes it over and strip mines the entire place for Beskar because it is um, one of those alloys that, it, or not an alloy, it, it is a metal that is insanely strong. It is one of the few metals that can easily repulse blasters, which we see in the show, but it can also repel lightsaber blows. Again, very, very handy, uh, especially if you're a Mandalorian warrior who likes to engage in combat with Jedi Knights, as some of the old mythology and stuff would imply. So Beskar is, is not only insanely valuable, it is insanely valuable to a Mandalorian. It is, it is, it is from their homeworld, a place that they were, in the old canon again, displaced from. Um, so another sign that, that the, perhaps we're weaving some of this old canon back into Star Wars mythology. Um, there is some really great stuff with Besker that comes up in, in some of those, like I, said, like I mentioned, those Karen Travis novels, uh, particularly in, in, the, um, in the Luke Skywalker era novels that they, that they get into where, where uh, Boba Fett forges gauntlets made of Besker so he's able to grab lightsaber blades. It's fucking awesome. Um, and Besker obviously playing a huge role in the show. I, I was going back through some of the old episodes of uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and uh, Star Wars Rebels, and I couldn't find any references to Besker in the in the episodes I was able to watch before recording this show. I'm still kind of investigating, but I do I do feel like Besker is this is the first reference to the metal since the old canon was kind of wiped away. If I'm wrong on that, let me know. I'm still investigating that, but this is what's in my mind right now. It's like they don't refer to Besker at any other point on Rebels, on the Clone Wars. So again, another sign to me that they're, they're, they're bringing in some of that old continuity and, and, and kind of uh, fitting it in to the new canon. So, and it, it seems to jive because uh, uh, the, the, this Mandalore seems to have a grudge against Imperials. He seems to have a connection to the metal. He seems quite stoked on getting the, his hands on the metal. So he agrees to take the job for, with the Imperial client for a container full of Besker. But he gets a down payment of, of a small square of Besker, which is, um, like I said, it's, it's insanely valuable, but the value to a Mandalorian warrior is even more so because now he's able to use it to forge more, uh, more uh, armor and weapons to use for his, for his quests that, he, that he's on. And again, he's taking jobs as a bounty hunter, but I suspect that uh, he's really has an overall goal that we aren't aware of just yet. Probably not that, not that hard to figure that one out, right? <laughs> so after leaving that meeting, and uh, at that meeting is where we get that second sound clip that we heard before we lead into the show about the, I like those odds. Um, again, great exchange there. Good times. When the Mandalorian talks, it's, the words mean a lot. So always remember that. Okay, so after the meeting with the client, the, Mando heads to, uh, the Mandalorian heads, heads to an, in, an enclave, basically, um, and it's a place where other Mandalorians are, you know, a handful of other Mandalorians playing. Um, it seems like they're kind of just killing time, biding their time, you know, playing a couple games here and there, just kind of surviving. Like, it looks like they're kind of laying low as well. Uh, it's hard to say what's going on there exactly. We're not, you know, I'm sure we'll get more information about that as, as the show kind of plays out. So the Mandalorian ar- arrives and has, he's meeting with the armorer. And the armorer, he presents the Besker to the armorer who forges him a new pauldron, which is a, a piece of shoulder armor. Now, again, we're, we're talking about some of the old Mandalorian lore, lore here that's from, from 
from the Legends canon that doesn't count anymore. But there was um, part of that old canon was that the the Mandalorian armorer was the only person who could forge the Beskar armor. That it was a, a closely guarded secret, and um, you know it was it was forbidden for them to share that technique, the, that knowledge with outsiders who were not of, of, the, of the clans. And again, I don't know how much of that continuity we're getting to, into, how much of that we're going to use. So, I mean, obviously the, the Empire is able to do something with the Besker because they've, they've shaped it into these, these, these little square little chips. So I don't know. Again, there's, there's seven more episodes to go. It's going to play out. But it was interesting to see a Mandalorian armor who is a... Uh, a, a, a high-ranking member of, of the Mandalorian society, um, and again, so you, you're getting little peeks into that into that cool society. And now, what happens is, so the armor forges this new pauldron, and as it is presented and, and placed on the Mandalorian, our hero, uh, she makes reference to the fact that the excess Vesker will go a long way to uh, to helping sponsor many foundlings. That was important to me as well because, again, in that old continuity, many Mandalorians are orphans who are rescued by Mandalorians, and they become Mandalorians because of their adopted fathers or mothers. And um, that's not something that's in that new continuity from Clone Wars, from Star Wars Rebels. So a reference to foundlings, again, made my ears kind of perk up. I'm like, oh my gosh, is this another little something-something? to the old canon, to the old continuity. Are, are, we, are we bringing more things in? And, and so I, I got really excited about that. Again, like I said, being a, being a Mandalorian is, is, is more about uh, sharing in a culture than it is uh, sharing, uh, sharing uh, uh, genetics or sharing DNA, you know? You can, you can be more to Mandalorian, but Mandalorians are, are made. You know, they're, they are discovered. It's, it's the strength from within kind of thing. And uh, again, that's the, I love that. I love that so much. So again, a little a little note that, I, that these are the things I'm paying attention to as I'm watching the show. All right, so we get the new pauldron. We advance the story. We're he's the Mandalorian is now on the job and he's going off to find the bounty for the client. We meet up with an Ugnot named Kuil. I know I said that wrong, but it's an Ugnot. He's like an Ugnot rancher. He's kind of crazy. He's a little weird. Not crazy. He's a little weird. He's played by or at least voiced by Nick Nolte, which was uh, very interesting. And this Ugnaught rancher, Kuil, uh, uh, helps the Mandalorian by, uh, by, by putting down a couple of these wild blurg. Um, cause, because when, he, when, when the Mandalorian arrives on planet, he's scoping the situation out, and he gets attacked by these two blurg. And uh, they kind of handle him. <laughs> so, you know, as, as much excellent fighting prowess as we've seen from the Mandalorian in the opening of the show, uh, you know, me, you know, Maybe he's still got a few things to learn, you know, uh, maybe, or maybe he's just not good with animals. I don't know. We'll figure that out. So uh, the Ugnaught uh, offers to guide the Mando because the, he wants these, this, this band of, of, of criminals off his planet because his planet's supposed to be peaceful and quiet and, and you know, a, a place to come to find yourself kind of situation. So he helps the Mando to get these guys off the planet. And... The Mando has to learn how to ride a Blurg, though, because apparently it's the only way to, to, to traverse the terrain, which is why he has to guide him in the first place. So the Mando learns how to do that, and, you know, there's a fun little exchange between, between 
the Mando and in, in, in the in the in Kuil before they move on and do their thing. We get to the outpost where the where the bad guys are holed up and the bounty's waiting. And from an observation post above, the Mando's observing, kind of counting numbers, figuring out his plan of approach. When all of a sudden you just hear a clunk, 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 and a bounty droid arrives on the scene. IG-11, played by the awesome Taika Waititi, who uh, was so stoked that he got to play a droid that he's been on Twitter talking about it nonstop. And uh, he plays a pretty fantastic droid, I'm not going to lie. So the droid uh, cites the Bondsman Guild protocols, the, the quote-unquote writ of seizure. Um, and again, I, I want to emphasize, it's so cool to see an IG unit in action. We, we've, we, we got a glimpse of an IG unit, in, again, on the bridge in Empire Strikes Back when Darth Vader's assembled the bounty hunters to look for Han and Princess Leia. You know, and you know, if you're an uber nerd like me, you, you've, the only other time you've really seen a, an IG droid do anything has been in comic books, which are wonderful, but static. You know, you don't get to, you get to see the way they move. And, and to see IG-11 move in the way he fights and does combat is awesome. We got a glimpse of it in the trailer, but when you really get to watch the whole thing play out, it's really stellar and, 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 and awesome. The way that he's able to swivel, I say he, but it's a droid, but the way, the way it's able to swivel and complete like 360 degree coverage is, is pretty damn impressive. So obviously these, these bounty hunting droids are uh, pretty damn effective. Now, the Mando comes crashing in, and they, they, they agree to a team-up to split the profits because, well, it just was helpful for the story. No, I mean, let's come on, let's be honest. The IG hadn't done anything yet. The, yes, the writ of seizure had been processed, but he hadn't captured the bounty yet, so it seemed reasonable to the droids to team up with the Mandalorian so they could take out the bad guys who were now holed up. They took defensive positions. They were regrouping. Counterattack was coming. From, from the baddies, from, from these, these, these villains that were held up on the planet. It's, so the counterattack comes, and we get to see the Mando and the IG-11 fight, fight the bad guys in a cool, cool way. Now, I want to mention, too, I, I tried to get some more details on uh, the weaponry that, that, the, that the Mandalorian is using in the show. He has a blaster, uh, a hand blaster, a small one. It looks very reminiscent of the, of the, of the style hand, hand blaster used by... Django Fett in Attack of the Clones. The sound it emits is similar, but I didn't think it was quite the same. Um, I'm, I'm hoping some more details will come out on the kind of specs that, that the Mandalorian is using on the show. I'm going to try and pay more attention to, to the weaponry um, in the next episode. It was, it, I've, like I said, I've watched it three or four times, and it was, it was kind of hard to tell if it's, the same, if it's the exact same model gun or just something very similar. But it's, it's a handgun, not a, not a uh, Boba Fett blaster rifle or anything like that. So again, we get a great a battle scene here. The IG unit keeps trying to self-destruct and, and, and um, you know, the Mandalorian keeps telling him not to. Like, hey, this isn't over. We, get, we still got plenty to fight here. Uh, but it's, it's funny to see this, like, thermal detonator just pop out of the, uh, the IG unit's chest. He's like, okay, I'm going to kill myself now. Uh, a great scene happens with the, the arrival of the hover cannon. The Mando's able to, able to use his uh, grappling hook, get that thing spun out, shoot the pilot, and then uh, take, the, take that hover cannon for a spin of his own and just mow everybody down. And that's when uh, the Mando and the IG unit are able to, using that cannon, blast into the, the, the hardened bunker and locate the bounty. Again, I, we're going to spoil it because, I, the, you know, unlike the Watchmen shows where I, I, I feel compelled to kind of help keep the mystery alive to, to a, a, as much of an extent as I can, uh, this show's up on Front Street. 
You know, there, there's no mystery here. Like, they're, like it's like, ooh, who's the bounty? They show you the bounty in the show. <laughs> we kind of have to talk about it. It's kind of a big deal. It's going to kind of be the crux of the show moving forward. So I do, have, I do feel compelled to issue one more warning. If you do not want to know about the bounty, now is the time. The bounty, and by the way, the bounty, I also mean the asset. So this is the last warning. I'm going to say what, what's happening here. So, you know, five, four, three, two, one. They enter the bunker. They kill the last remaining bad guy. The Mandalorian, with his tracker, finds uh, like a floating little egg-shaped unit. And he's a little surprised because it looks very much like something you would keep a baby in. So he opens it up. Sure enough, it's something you keep a baby in. But wait, what kind of baby is that? Oh, the kind with, with, with three fingers on its hand. And long, pointyish elf ears sticking out from its sides of its head. And it's green with big, round eyes. That's right. It's a baby Yoda. It's a little baby Yoda. Okay, not, not Yoda, but Yoda's species. You know, uh, a species that we've only ever really seen. We've, we've seen Yoda. Uh, in Phantom Menace, we saw Yaddle. And if you're, if you're a, a big fan of the video games, uh, you remember Knights of the Republic, and they had uh, Vandar Toker, the Jedi Master, from that video game was of Yoda's species. Yoda's species has been one of the most... Um, I don't know if guarded is the right word. It's just something that no one's ever been allowed to go into. It's, it's like George Lucas's big secret. And now that he's not in charge anymore, I guess we're going to get to play around with, with Yoda's species to a certain extent. I don't know how much we're going to get involved in, in, into, the, into the species or if it's just, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, know. I, I don't want to, again, I, I kind of hate speculating. But it, the, ooh, that was a cute baby. I'm not going to lie. That Yoda baby is cute. So we, we have to ask ourselves some questions now. You know, whose baby is this? Question number one. Uh, why is it being held uh, by, the, by these, uh, these, these killers and assassins and bad guys? You know, what, what's, what's the deal with that? Why does this Dr. Pershing want the baby? And why is he working with this imperial person who's referred to as the client, all right? Played by Werner Herzog, by the way. Um, so, so why is Pershing teamed up with this imperial person? What's going on here? We have a lot of mysteries. They're not going to be big mysteries. It's, it's Star Wars. You know, it's not like a detective story. So don't, don't worry about that. We're going to get answers pretty quickly. And uh, if you've paid attention to any of the, of the uh, pre-show promotional stuff, I mean, we know Giancar- Giancarlo's Carlo's character, Giancar- Giancarlo Stanton, my God, Giancarlo Esposito's character is forthcoming, and he's an Imperial moth with all kinds of death troopers and stormtroopers at his, his disposal. He obviously has a vested interest in the, in the Yoda baby, but we don't know the connections. We don't know any of that stuff yet. Um, what's pretty cool is the way this episode ends. We see the Yoda baby. IG-11 wants to kill the Yoda baby and collect the bounty and call it a day. Uh, the Mandalorian is not going to let that happen. As, as we've established, as they establish in the show, the Mandalorian himself is, is, is a foundling, is, is, is an orphan. So he sees this orphan child, and he sees something of himself, I think, you know, of, of, of an of, of a, of a innocent person who's about to be killed by a terrifying, terrifyingly large, skinny robot. And so, uh, so the Mandalorian, Mandalorian does the only thing he can do. He kills the, well, kills is, again, a strong word. He terminates, he ends 
the existence of the IG-11 robot. A nice little shot to the head. And that's uh, actually the clip we're going to use to play to end, end the show today. So I'm going to play that for you guys too because it's pretty cool. Um, again, I didn't go into some of the, some of the details, like some of the ways that the, the, the client tricks, eh, tricks is a strong word, but misleads the Mandalorian into accepting this bounty because, uh, you know, he says that he's looking for the, the, the bounty, the asset that they're, they're trying to collect is, is, is 50 years old. This baby apparently is 50 years old. But as we know, Yoda's age very, very differently than, than humans do. So uh, he's, he's rather, uh, the Mandalorian is rather surprised to find a baby, at the very, very least. Um, and the way this show ends with the, the terminated IG-11 unit on the floor, the Mandalorian raising his, 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 his hand with his finger extended towards the baby, and you see the baby's hand rising up to maybe grab the Mandalorian's finger. And it doesn't quite happen before the credits roll. Um, but the, the, the first thing that popped to my mind was, oh my gosh, they're going to do Lone Wolf and Cub. And I couldn't tell you how fucking blown away I was with, with the idea of that. Because uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, for anybody who's not familiar with it, is uh, this wonderful series from, from Japan. Of uh, it, It's a comic strip, basically. It's, it's been collected a couple different times in the States here. You can find it. It was written by, uh, by Kazuo, Kazuo Kiyoki and drawn by Gaseki Kojima. Uh, it's considered a classic. It, it is the story of a, of a, of a lone ronin samurai um, on the run from a warlord with, with a baby in tow. It's, um, it was also a bunch of uh, Japanese films as well that you can watch. It's utterly fantastic. The, the graphic novels are uh, amazing. It, it's... Uh, primo storytelling at its best and again this was the first connection i made here we have the lone warrior the gunslinger the lone the lone gunslinger in a way now with this baby that i assume he's going to want to protect because he just killed a droid well i keep saying killed a droid not quite the way it works he just exterminated a droid in order to save that baby's life so it doesn't seem like he's going to be returning that baby to the client anytime soon which can only lead to more bad things for the mandalorian more trouble to get into uh, so yeah, the lone wolf and cub comparison seemed uh, pretty pretty apparent and pretty apropos to me. Uh, and what's also cool about that is, I mean, thinking back to again, you go back to the original Star Wars, to you know, A New Hope, and uh, much of the structure of A New Hope is owed to another Japanese film, uh, the Hidden Fortress, from Akira, from directed by Akira Kurosawa, one of Kurosawa's uh, you know five ten best films. It's it's fantastic, and again, a lot of that structure from the Hidden Fortress, uh, George Lucas used for A New Hope. It just makes a certain amount of sense that we tie in those 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 uh, Japanese film elements that are so influential in in Star Wars, because that's something that I don't think he's really been given a nod to in 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 quite a while. But a lot of Star Wars roots are in Kurosawa films, in in Japanese cinema. You know, remember Lucas himself. A big cinemaphile. I mean, he the, he loved samurai movies. He loved the the movies of of Akira Kurosawa. So it makes a certain amount of sense that John Favreau would would realize that and kind of structure his Mandalorian show kind of the same way. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe this goes a complete different direction. But I really like the idea of this lone wolf and cub thing. You know, the the lone Mandalorian protecting the Yoda baby from from the evil Imperial warlords who are out to get him. Now, why are they out to get him? Why do they want this baby again? These are the questions we have to wait for. Um, but we're going to find out 
we're going to start getting answers very, very soon. And uh, I, can't, I can't wait to, to talk more about that. Now, that's pretty much where I want to end things. Um, I, the only thing I didn't mention was the army of bad guys seem to consist mostly of Klaatus and Nyctos, which you may remember from uh, a lot of those guys were uh, the kind of guards in, at, in Return of the Jedi that Luke and Han shoot off of the sand barge and stuff like that. Um, just, they kind of play common thugs throughout the Star Wars universe. Star Wars Galaxy, if you want. Um, so that was interesting. But again, so much good stuff to start with. I, I feel like uh, we, we are off on a strong, real strong start for this show. Like I said, we have The Mandalorian played by Pedro Pascal. The client is Werner Herzog. The armorer was played by Emily Swallow. Grief was Grief Karga, Carl Weathers. IG-11 was Taika Waititi. I'm assuming he's done with his part for the show. But we got a lot more people coming on the show. You guys, if you're paying attention on the internet, you know, you've seen the casting. You've seen uh, what actors are going to be coming into the show. We don't know much about the characters. A lot of this show is like very, very uh, hidden, you know, and I like that. I like knowing that we're going to be able to watch something and not have it ruined for us, which I'm very excited by. Real quick review the questions we have to ask. Whose Yoda baby is that? Why does the, why does the Empire have a Yoda baby? What do they want to do with the Yoda baby? Why does, does Dr. Pershing uh, so, so interested in this Yoda baby, getting the Yoda baby back alive? I just like saying Yoda baby, baby. But let's also ask the questions about our Mandalore. Who is our Mandalore? You know, what connections does he have to the events going on in the show, in the Star Wars galaxy at large? Uh, apparently his identity is, is obviously a mystery, mystery to us, um, but there is that scene with the armorer where she asks if his sig- sigil has been revealed yet, to which he replies no, and her response is something along the, along the lines of, soon it will be, or it will be soon, something along those lines. So his identity will probably factor into the show at some point and have some kind of connection to uh, other characters as we meet them as the show progresses. So that'll be interesting to see. I've seen a couple of people float the idea that the Mandalorian is actually just Boba Fett, um, which I will say right now I believe is total garbage. And if they were to go that route, I would, uh, you would hear my eyes roll across the Internet. So I'm, I'm calling it now. It ain't Boba Fett. If you read those theories, you can laugh at them as loudly as I have been. Uh, not Boba Fett. Is there a connection to the Fets? Maybe. We'll have to find that out. But not Boba Fett. I'm going to wrap the show up now because i got to edit it, and I want to put it out tonight. It's going to be available tonight to listen to. So you'll have it first thing. Well, I mean, whenever you listen to your podcast, it's going to be ready for you because on Friday, we got to get a new episode watched, and i got to get a new podcast recorded, if not Friday, then on Saturday because we got to keep this train rolling, baby. We got a long Mandalorian flight to haul. I don't know if that makes sense, but whatever. Mandawade, right? Yeah, a couple of you know what I just said. Oh, boy. All right. Like I said, get ready for some true dorkness because this is where my, 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 my nerd flag flies the highest, talking about Star Wars and particularly talking about Mandalorians and Mandalorian culture. So happy the show's here. Oh, oh, it's a great day to be a Star Wars fan. Um, it might even be a great day to be a fan of everything super cool because Disney Plus is here. And so far, it's today's day two as I'm recording this, and it, uh, it seems like they got a lot of the bugs worked out in that first day. I've been going through watching some Clone Wars. I set up my profile. I can't wait to get into this app. There's still some glitches. There's still some weird things in there. They're going to work it out. I don't care, though. I got the Mandalorian on a Friday. Friday, you and I, we all have a date on Friday. Let's get back. Let's talk. What else I got for you guys? Oh, Let's just close it up. 
Follow on the social medias if you don't mind at TomCast underscore podcast on Twitter, at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram, and email uh, at TomCastPopCast at Gmail. And uh, if you guys are if you guys are a fan, want to help out, make a make a generous uh, contribution to keep the show going as best as we can. Uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. You can sign up and become a member of Pophead Nation. It's a pretty cool place to be. I like being there. It's a lot of fun, especially on days like today where I get to talk about Star Wars. Oh, oh, it's been a long time coming. I feel like we've been talking about this show for a long time, and it's finally, finally here. All right, guys, let's wrap it up, but not before we thank our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody and the spectacular Brian Broussard. Thank you, guys. Thank you, to, thank you to, for joining Pophead Nation. That's all the information I got for you. We'll close it out with one more awesome sound clip from the episode. Other than that, ciao, babes. Wait. They said 50 years old. Species age differently. Perhaps it could live many centuries. Sadly, we'll never know. No. We'll bring it in alive. The commission was quite specific. The asset was to be terminated.